All right, so we're going to uh, direct our attention towards our theme for this day, which is the theme of purity. Uh, so if you'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians 6, we're going to be there in just a few minutes. <clears throat> and if you don't have a Bible, the text will be on the wall. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd like to get one for you. Uh, so you can have your own that you can take home and read, study, and try to understand who God is better and who God has made you to be in, in his light. So um, we're going to progress towards the pathway to purity here this morning, okay? Uh, but before we do, I always like to talk a little bit. And so today I want to do just to help me define this word pure or purity. So when you think of something that's pure, what do you think of? Like what does it call to attention? Or when you hear the word purity, what does it make you think of? Without fault. Okay, good. What's that? Perfect. Untouched. Anybody else? Pure or purity? White as snow. All right. Anybody else here? Now, typically when we talk about purity from a biblical perspective, people's mind tend to run to the areas of sexual purity. Like that's the only thing that purity relates to or it's most important. And it's definitely important, but it's just a part of being overall pure. Anybody else? What's it mean to be pure? Or what do you think of? Okay, so nothing soiled or not blemished. Yep. So when you look this up in a dictionary, here's what it'll say. It'll say it's without contaminants or without pollution. So it's entirely pure. So if I had a glass of water in front of my hand and said it was pure water, it would be water and what? And nothing else. All right, if it's pure water, the only thing that it's going to be is Water, that's 100% water. We talk about air being pure. A pure air is nothing that is contaminating it or polluting it. It's just 100% pure. I think about, some of you have this in your ears, around your neck, on your fingers. Gold, all right? Uh, now, it may have a little bit of impurity in it, but some of you may be wearing pure gold, right? And it's a certain classification, uh, depending on uh, its, its purity. Uh, anybody like to eat honey? Right, so I think about honey and that just, sometimes it has all the artificial ingredients added to it to try to make it sweet or to make it something different than it actually is. But pure honey is just really good on its own, right? It doesn't need anything else added to it when it is pure. So things that are pure are 100% that and they're nothing else. And so what we're talking about today is you and I trying to get that direction. I also think of snow. Uh, as Aunt Bev mentioned, when I think about purity, we read it there from Psalm 51, right? Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And I know you don't want to hear this, but snow's on the way, right? It's just a matter of time for some of us, hopefully. For others of us, it's like, oh, please keep it away, right? Before this area of the world begins to get a little bit of the white stuff on the ground. So initially, when you see that snow, whether you like to get out in it or not, I would say most of us think it's beautiful. Like you see it in your yard, on your trees. 
If you've got, if you live by a field before the road or the cars drive on it or before there's footprints in it, and it just kind of blankets everything, it's just beautiful, isn't it? I mean, oh, it's just, it's awesome. And but what about when cars start driving through it and the road crew puts the chemicals on it and people have been out walking in it? Then what's it turned to? Just that kind of nasty, slushy stuff, right? And so something can go from pure to slush in, in a matter of time. And so for me, personally, spiritually speaking, I'm somewhere between whiter than snow and nasty slush. Okay? And I, I, I would assume that you're somewhere between there as well. Right? But hopefully, if we're followers of Christ, we're on this pathway. And so I'm not pure yet, but I'm on my way there. Right? That's hopefully the, the direction that we're heading and the intention of our heart as we try to follow and honor our God. So as with many things in life, this just takes time. That's why it's called a pathway. So if we're going to get stronger... Physically, it takes time. If we're going to get healthier physically, it takes time. If we're going to get experience in our job or at parenting or being a friend, that all just takes time. And we probably wish that we could go download like 20 years of spiritual maturity in 20 seconds. Wouldn't that be nice? Hit a little button and you go from being immature to spiritually mature in 20 seconds. It just doesn't work that way. Right? So we cannot do anything but walk the path to get to the point that we're trying to get to. So here we're talking about walking this path to purity, and Paul's going to talk about the same thing from 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, so if you'd like to turn there, that's where we're going to be. We're going to read just the last five verses of 2 Corinthians 6, and then verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 7, because it summarizes those previous five verses. So Paul's writing to these people, and these are believers, and he's writing to encourage them to stay on the pathway. This is the right path. You're moving the right direction. You've got some things in your life that are impure. We need to deal with those. But remember why we do what we do. And so he's going to get to the heart of the matter. And we're going to try to do the same here this morning. So follow along if you'd like. Your 2 Corinthians 6 beginning in verse 14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness. These are just opposites, right? So there cannot be communion, that closeness between an unbeliever and a believer. There cannot be a closeness or communion between light and dark. It's like oil and water. They don't what? They don't mix, okay? And so Paul's making this clear here about these are the kind of people that we're supposed to be. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them, I'll walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Okay? So God's just given some promises here. And then we get to chapter 7, verse 1. Which says, therefore. So you know the rule of thumb. Anytime you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What is it there for? Which means you've got to go backwards and look at what it's referencing. So therefore, in light of what we just read in chapter 6, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves 
from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. All right, so we're looking at this thing here of how do we purify ourselves? What does that mean? Why do we go about it? And what's the ultimate goal in this? All right, a few things that we'll note today as we make our way through uh, these six verses. And we pray as always that God will speak this in a way that he's planned far beyond anything that I've planned or prayed over here today. All right, so three things we'll highlight. If you want to follow along your bulletin, you can. You don't have to at all, but there's there to help you track. I'm a one, two, three kind of guy, and it works for me, all right? So if it works for you, use it. If not, say, ah, that's not the way I think, all right? Hopefully something will connect with you here this morning, though. So initially here, we, we purify ourselves, all right? We purify ourselves in the light of the promises of God. And so this is the compelling, like, why are we going to purify ourselves, right? Verse 1 said, purify yourself or purify ourselves. So why are we going to do it? We're doing it here because of what is being compelled in us at the moment. So every day you and I have an opportunity to live in the light of God's promises or to live our life based on what we feel. I know God says this is true, but I feel like this is true. I know God has promised this, but I think this is a better way for me to go right now. So every day Multiple times a day, we have opportunities to either trust God's promises or trust in what we feel or what we think or maybe what somebody's uh, advice towards us would be. Uh, and ultimately there, we could become completely independent. So what Paul's going to tell us here is if we're going to walk this pathway to purity, then it starts with trusting in what God has said, and that will be proven by how we live our life. All right? So when we consider what God has promised, we are compelled. So here's what it says. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves. And we're just going to break down verse 1 into three parts. But here initially it's about purifying ourselves. Why do we purify ourselves? Because of what? Therefore, since we have these promises. So in light of God's promises, this is why we purify ourselves. This is why we do what we do. All right? We need to get this correct. I think far too often we tell people, do this, don't do that. And that's wrong. All right? Go to church, don't cuss. Read your Bible, don't cheat on your wife. I'm not saying do the wrong. What I'm saying is when we just say don't do it and do it, we're playing to the truth that the world shares to us. Christians are just a bunch of people who don't do stuff and who do stuff. Why do you do it? Why do we do it? There's got to be something compelling us beyond the rule, beyond the parent, beyond what the group's opinion is. And here Paul says we do what we do because we're driven by the promises of God. That's why you and I do, so hopefully, the things that we do. It reminds me of Romans 12 verse 1. That's an also a therefore verse. Therefore... My brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, remember this verse? Offer your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Okay? We offer our bodies, we do something because of what is in view, what has been promised. And we do this all the time in, in our life. So since God's made promises, let's strive for purity. Think about a parent who might say to a child, if you get all A's on your report card, then you'll get this. Anybody ever told you that? What did you say often as a child? Do you promise? I hear you saying it, Mom, Dad, Aunt, Uncle, Grandma, and Grandpa. I hear you saying that you're going to take me to a dinner 
or do something for me if I do this, but do you promise? Okay? If we say yes, then they're compelled to go get the A's. Right? So what drove them to go get the A's? The promise. Right? You see it? We do this all the time. I promise to do something as long as you do that. Okay, then I'll do this because I trust in number one, who it is that promised, and I trust number two, and I believe that that promise will become a reality. So when I trust that God is faithful, just like Hebrews says he is, right? He who promised is faithful, Hebrews 10, 23. When I trust that God is faithful, when I believe that his promises will become a reality in my life, it compels me to do things. So it's not just don't smoke or don't cheat on your test, all right? It's be compelled, be driven by who your God is and what he has promised. We've got to make sure that we get that right. Otherwise, we just feed and we actually teach the very things that we're accused of teaching. So if someone's going to make a promise, if we'll trust in them, we're willing to do what's being asked of us because we believe that promise will become a reality. So what are some of the promises of God that are listed here in that previous chapter, 2 Corinthians 6? Here's some things that God says. He says, I will live with them. That's a promise. I will walk with them. That's a promise. I will be their God. That's a promise. They will be my children. That's a promise. I will receive you and I will be a father to you. These are all promises made towards people who will purify who? Themselves. So because of the promise giver and because of the promises given, we are then compelled to do what's asked of us even if we don't want to do it because we want to realize the promise. If you clean your room, then I'll get you ice cream. Well, I don't want to clean my room, but I'll go do it because I want ice cream. I don't really want to clean up my life. I kind of like the way I'm living. But because God says he'll be with me, he'll be in me, he'll be my God and I can be his child, because of what he says, I'm willing to do the things that are hard or unpleasant that I don't really want to do because I believe that I'll receive the promise is given. Make sense? So not just do it, don't do it. We've got to start, we've got to start with these promises that are given to us by God. And so in these promises, we have the promise of God's presence with us at all times. Anybody take that today? Is that a take it or leave it promise for you? Eh, I can do without the presence of God. No, I think we're probably like Moses. You remember when God said, Moses, you're going to have to go to the promised land but I'm not going with you. God was angry at the Israelites because they had created some little golden calf and worshipped it as though it had performed all these miracles. He said, you people are crazy. You're stubborn, stiff-necked. I can't go with you. Moses said, if your presence goes, I don't want to stay here. But if your presence doesn't go with us, then please don't send us away from here. To Moses, it was a big deal to have the presence of God. That promise was significant. And so Paul reaffirms that here. God's presence will be with his people as they seek to purify themselves. We have the promise of protection. We have the promise of blessing. We have the promise of the favor of God. We have the promise of being a part of a family. 
It's not biological, but it will last forever. We have the promise of counsel, of guidance, of care and oversight like a father over his children. And I would say for all of us, those are things that sound significant. So therefore, in light of the promises that God has made, purify yourself. Purify myself. Now, is this a call to save yourself? Is Paul writing by purify yourself? Is he saying clean yourself up, save yourself? No. Remember, he's writing to a group of people who are already saved. And so what he's saying here is you have a part to play. I have a part to play. We've got to do the things that remove some of the pollution and the contaminants in our life that are hindering us from pursuing purity. Remember why we do it, because initially here we've got the promises of God held out there. But this is a call for those who follow Christ to flee contaminants and pollution. If we're going to be pure as it's defined, then we've got to be mindful of these things. Otherwise, we misrepresent Christ. So everywhere we go, every word we say, every thought we have is a representative of how Christ would think, where he would go, or what he would say. And that's something that should be in the forefront of our mind. So as we're on this pathway, we've got to understand that we're in the pursuit of purity. We're not there yet, and God knows that as well. God sees us through Christ and says, yeah, you're pure because my son is. But we see us on this side of things, and we know there's still work to be done, and we've got a part to play. Can I just sit in this pew and say, God, you know, clean up my life? And God just automatically take care of it. God, I'm going to keep using... Drugs, that's just the way it is. You're going to have to clean me up. I'm going to keep looking at stuff that I shouldn't look at, but that's on you. It's not on me. Now, we've got a part to play, right? Right? So, again, we don't save ourselves. We don't keep ourselves saved. But we have a role to play under grace, working to be pure, become pure, as Christ is pure. So, with that, if I'm willing to tolerate even the smallest amount of sin... What it means is I'm willing to partner in my own misrepresentation of Jesus Christ. Have you peaked in your transformation? We're all sitting in church and we're all probably going to say, no, I can keep growing. I'm just, are you? Like far too often I think we just rest on our personality. It's just the way I am, Corey, and I'm just not going to change until I die. That's a sorry excuse for a Christian. We're supposed to be elevating and going, well, I just, that's my attitude. And I, maybe you can't change it, but you're only half, you're only telling half the truth. God can change you. And if I settle in an area to say, well, I'm just going to have to keep doing this sin, what I'm saying is I'm okay misrepresenting Jesus. And Jesus isn't okay with that. So we've got to remember why we do what we do. They're hard. Removing impurities is a process. And it takes time. And it's often unwanted. And yet it's necessary if we're going to become pure. So in light of the promises of God, Paul writes, purify yourself. Purify yourself. Don't just do this and don't do that. Remember the promises of God and let those compel you. They will become your reality. 
And many of those are our present reality right now. God's in us. He's with us. He's over us as a father. We're part of the family of God, and we get to experience all the blessing and favor that's connected with all those promises right now. Even as people who are in the process of being changed, walking the path to purity. So hold on to the promises of God. Let those be what compel you rather than what this guy thinks or the person beside you thinks. It's what God has said. It's what I will receive. This is mine. And because this is mine, I will do the hard thing of purifying myself. All right, secondly here, we're going to purify ourselves as we aim for God's standard. What's God's standard? Perfection. I feel like it's over before it got started. Anybody else feel that way? Man, if that's the standard and I'm supposed to hit it, I'm nowhere close. And I don't even get close on my best days. So what do you mean here, I need to aim for God's standard of perfection? What are you talking about? This is pretty simple, actually. If we're ever going to be free from the things that pollute and contaminate which means we're going to be pure, our aim has to be at God's standard, which is perfection. That's what I'm aiming for. Now, we coach girls in playing basketball, and we tell them you're going to miss 7 out of 10 shots that you take. That's just the average. 30, 33, 34% is just an average shooter. All right? But do we tell them, hey, I want you to go out and try to make 3 out of 10? No. You tell them, I want you to try to make 10 out of 10. Every shot. To have a shooter's mentality is, next one's going in. I don't care if you shot it 10 feet over the backboard, the next one's going in. And then when you shoot that one 10 feet short, man, the next one's going in. Right? You know you're going to fall short, but just because you fall short doesn't mean you lower the standard to make it 100%. Does that make sense? I made 3 out of 10. Yeah, that's the standard. No. That's just my average. It means I got work to do. So perfection, is that a pretty lofty goal? What if God had said, you know what, just strive to be a little bit better? Wouldn't that sound doable? Just be a little bit better than you are right now today. Learn a little bit more script. Just pray a little bit more. Serve somebody just a little bit. Just give a little bit more money. And that's what I'm after, just a little bit better. That's not what the scriptures teach, though. Really, what that's called is compromise. And when I'm willing to compromise, here again, it means I'm willing to be the less than what God is calling me to be, which is perfect, pure. And so I need to work to purify myself. So God's word calls us to what's impossible. And he calls us to something that is unreachable in this lifetime. But don't let that discourage you. And don't let that cause compromise to rise up. He never relinquishes our responsibility to the standard, which is perfection. He knows we're going to fall short, and yet he still loves us. He's patient with us. He works with us. He transforms us. But he never lowers the bar. Never lowers the bar. It's always about perfection. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, then let us pure ourselves from what? Everything. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit here, perfecting holiness. So you see a little bit better is not part of the plan of God, right? 
God's saying you've got to get rid of everything that contaminates you. Everything that's polluting you has got to go. And so we've got to do our part to purify ourselves. So let's put this in context a little bit. In view of what God has done, never sin again. Go. <laughs> Have you sinned already? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm saying that's what he's saying. Don't ever sin again. In view of God's promises, what he's done for you, what he's done for me, never sin again. Listen, this is the standard we've got to hold ourselves to. I know I'm going to sin. I'm not going to get it right. Well, that's true, but that doesn't give me or you a license just to keep sinning. Well, I can't change. It's just the way I am. Yeah, but God can change you. So quit selling him short like the only thing he can do is what you're capable of doing yourself and trust him to do the impossible. Well, I'm just hard-headed. Okay. He's worked with hard-headed people before. Well, I'm stiff-necked. We've already mentioned the Israelites. He's worked with them before. You're nothing that God hasn't faced before. I'm nothing that God hasn't faced. I'm a hard-headed pen. And I can be changed. So can you. So we've got to keep aiming for the standard. Don't let me settle for just a little bit better. A little bit better husband, a little bit better dad, a little bit better pastor, a little bit better neighbor. No, the standard is perfection. You'd be a perfect husband. That's what you strive for. And you'd be a perfect dad. And when you fall short, you get up and you keep trying to be a perfect dad. You'd be a perfect wife, if that's your case. Be a perfect friend, perfect pastor. That's what we're striving after, not just a little bit better. Purify yourself from everything. So we said never ever sin again. Never ever say a sinful word again. How often? Never. You say, well my parents taught me to not say never or always. Did your parents teach you that? Don't go to the extremes. God goes there. He says everything here. Never have a sinful thought. Never act in a way that God would not act. Never selfishly spend God's money. Never be rude or disrespectful. Never look on anyone in a way that's lustful. Never desire anything more than God. On and on we could go, but you get the point. It's never. Right? So to settle for anything less than that means I'm willing to participate in misrepresenting Christ. I'm willing to be contaminated and impure. And what the Scriptures call me to is purity. completely free from contamination or pollutants. You say, Pastor, Corey, that's a tough list. I mean, never, really? Is that what you're going to tell us today? I'm telling you that's what we aim for. I'm also telling you you're never going to hit it while you're here, and neither am I. Right? The distance between being perfect and on my best day is an immeasurable gap here. That's a ceiling that I'll never begin to even see or touch. That is until I breathe my last and am face to face with Christ. So knowing that you'll never reach the goal, you still strive for it. Don't lower the bar. Three out of ten is, sounds like perfection to me. Nope. The standard is ten out of ten, and that's what we're after. That's what we're supposed to be pursuing. So here's some other scriptures that help us understand this. Peter writes and says, For it's written, Be holy because I'm holy. Right? In chapter 6, Paul wrote and said, Come out from among them. Be separate from them. And that's what it means to be holy. I'm going to live a separated life. 
God says, I'm holy, and that's what you're supposed to be also. Me as well. Paul writes to the Romans, in the same way, count yourselves, what's the next word? Dead to sin. What's it mean to be dead to sin? It means I'll never sin again. That's my goal. I'm, I'm striving today to never sin rather than going, I know I'm going to sin today. No, my standard is I'm, I'm trying not to sin. That's my goal. And where I fall short, I will confess that. But where I just do a little bit better each day, I start, start getting kind of a clear conscience like, I'm not so bad. Really, Corey, are you perfect? No, then you've got, a, you've got work to do, all right? Don't minimize the standard here. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death. There's some of your Bible translations have that good word mortify. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Treat it as though that sin nature is forever dead. Luke 9, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Right? That's full on. And take up their cross daily and follow me. Finally, Paul says to the Corinthians, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Some of your translations will say, aim for perfection. That's what we're after. That's what we're striving for. Knowing that we're not going to reach it here is an absolute truth. But knowing that it will one day be ours to own is just as true. So hold the standard high. Hold the standard high as you seek to purify yourself. My goal is to be perfect. Our goal is to be perfect, and that's what we're to be chasing as followers of Christ. And then here's the overarching reason or theme. As we do this, God has promised blessing after blessing, promise after promise, and he's called us to hold ourselves to a high standard because we represent him. Every thought I say or have, every word I say, every place I go represents Christ. Right? People look at us sometimes and say, oh, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You say one thing and do something different. Well, I do because I'm not perfect yet. Right? So that should grieve us where we misrepresent our Savior rather than excuse it because eh, I'm still dealing with my sin nature. Never be okay with misrepresenting Christ. And then three, purify ourselves out of reverence for God here. So the person who is a child of God, this becomes our top priority. Everything we say, think, or do should fuel back or feed back into the glory of God. Is God honored? Is he pleased? Is he glorified? Is he being reverenced in my heart? Is he held high? Is there a godly fear of him there? All those things are to be present as I seek to live my life for Christ. And so he's calling them to do the impossible with this in view. This is why ultimately we do what we do. We purify ourselves out of reverence for God. So let's read it. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, all those promises, I'm with you, I'll guide you, I'll be your God, I'll be your Father, you'll be my people, since we have all these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness. Be holy as I'm holy. We do this out of reverence for God. So here again, don't settle for just trying to be better than somebody else. 
Right? I mean, I'm not as bad as they are. You ought to hear what they say or do. And they call themselves a Christian. I don't do that stuff. They're not my standard. And I'm not yours either. So we've got to work to encourage one another and not elevate ourselves based on one another. It's not about our boast or our brag. As if we could change ourselves. Right? So here again, we're just fully relying on the grace of Christ to do this transforming work in our life. It's absolutely essential, and he's the only way that I get to be completely pure. The reason we do what we do is because God has commanded, and as we do things that God has commanded, with an obedient and a, and a, a reverent heart, God is honored, and he is pleased. Uh, his name is hallowed. And so when I follow his commands, it shows that I revere his name. I have respect for his name. It's like I'm living my life as though he's right here. You ever changed when somebody came around? Talk one way, act one way, and then somebody else comes around and you're like, oh, I'm going to talk a little different. Maybe as a child, you'd talk one way, say things, and then your parents would walk in the room and you're like, oh, I'm not going to say that anymore because mom and dad are here. If they hear me talking like that, I'm busted. So I don't talk like that when mom and dad are around. Now, I've told you before about my boss in Nashville, Tennessee, Gary. Gary was 22 and a half years in the Marines, retired, and picked up just the language of the culture. And it was just second nature. And he just cuss word after cuss word after cuss word. I mean, there's more cuss words in his sentences than there were other words. So for me, I'm trying to drop words out. What are you getting at? What are you saying here initially? Well, I spent a week or two with Gary working, and I began to notice that whenever he and I were together, he would try to bite his tongue, and he'd start to say something. Oh! Then he wouldn't say it. And then he got to the point where he wouldn't even do that. But sometimes I could hear him, you know, in a conversation with somebody else in a room, And it was just the same old Gary. But then I noticed as well that that began to change. And the way he started talking around those who were his bosses changed. I'm Joe Blow, all right? By that I mean I'm nobody. I'm an imperfect person who's striving after the standard of perfection. But what I'm saying is when he got around certain people, the way he spoke changed. Like he was mindful of the person who was in the room. What about parents when your kids come in the room? And you're about to have a conversation with somebody, a teacher, coach, somebody at the grocery store, somebody that just wrecked your car and you get out of that car and you want to lay into that person and you look over and there's your child and you're like, mm, I can't say that. That's a good thing. See, what Paul's reminding us of here is We do what we do out of reverence for God, revering Him like He is right here. I mean, if God physically walked with you and I everywhere and we could see Him, would that change what we say and how we say it? I mean, if God was sitting in the car right beside me, beside you, and somebody slams on their brakes in front of us or cuts us off or starts yelling at us, we haven't done anything wrong, would our response change because God's right there? 
The truth of the matter is what? He is right there. So when I live my life, I'm to live in such a way as though God is present. I don't treat him like he's here on Sundays or when I've got things going really well, then God's there. He's always present. And so here he's saying, have a reverence for God. That is, respect his name. That will have a bearing on what I think, what I say, where I go, how I behave. So the point is when people ask us, why do you do what you do? Then we have a chance then to reflect that back to Christ. Why don't you talk like everybody else? Don't misunderstand me. I have the same thought you're having. I just know it doesn't please God. And I'm just not willing to misrepresent him. Sometimes I do, but I'm not getting this one wrong. I have a fear of God. Not fear he's going to strike me dead, although he can. But in awe of who he is, I have a deep respect for his name. And I want nothing higher than him to be honored and glorified. And when I participate in these things, it doesn't do any of that. Now people might look at you like you're crazy, but your God will look at you and he'll praise that. When we represent him, when we live in such a way that represents him correctly, then God here is honored and it shows that we have a reverence for his name. We purify ourselves out of reverence for God. So we're walking a path and it's a path to purity and this pathway is a struggle and it's difficult. The standard is high and it never gets lowered. But we have a God who's promised us all sorts of things and so we do what we do, the hard things, in light of his promises and in reverence of his name. So I just want you to think about that here as we close. Like, why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Or why don't you say something? And we were having this conversation this morning in our class. Like, is it because how you'll look at me? Or is it really because I want God to be honored? That shouldn't be a belittling thing. If it's not about his glory, it should be God awaken that in me. Stir my heart. Draw me to think of your glory first. Remind me of all the blessings and promises that you've given me rather than just going through the Christian routine of doing this and don't do that. Walking the path is challenging. Again, the standard's high, but our God is higher, and there's nobody like him, so we've got to pursue perfection in light of the promises of God as we seek to bring reverence and honor to his name.